Welcome to the Lancet Podcast. I'm Richard Lane on Friday, October the 19th. Anemia is common for people with severe kidney disease, often resulting in the need for erythropoietin treatment two to three times a week. A study published this week suggests an easier way for controlling anemia for people with severe kidney disease. More on that in a moment. Before that, a few other highlights to mention. Some very encouraging early results concerning safety and efficacy for a malaria vaccine among young infants. This study, published online on October 17th, enrolled over 200 infants from Mozambique. Those given vaccination had a 65% reduced risk of new infections. From the print issue dated October 20th to 26th, a strong editorial about the future of the United Kingdom National Health Service, or NHS, proposing that the old model of primary care versus hospital consultant is outmoded, and what is needed in the future is broader general practice working more closely with specialists in the community. We also have a comment in this week's issue linked to this topic by Ara Darzi. We publish research articles on asthma and stroke, and the strobe statement about the strengthening of observational studies in epidemiology. But back to our main feature, the control of anemia for people with severe kidney disease. Earlier I spoke to the lead author of the study, Dr. Nathan Levine, from the Renault Research Institute of New York City in the United States, and I began by asking him to remind us why anemia is so closely associated with kidney disease. The major reason for anemia and kidney disease is that as kidney disease progresses, the amount of erythropoietin produced in the renal cortex is reduced so that deficiency of erythropoietin occurs. Erythropoietin is necessary for erythropoiesis to occur in the bone marrow, and as kidney function gets to the point of complete absence, as in the case of patients requiring dialysis, anemia is almost inevitable. There are occasional exceptions with some diagnoses, but anemia is a characteristic of progressive uremic disease. And how long has epoetin been available as a treatment option for, for people with severe kidney disease? The first reports of the use of erythropoietin were in 1986. It was initially used for dialysis patients. It is widely used throughout the world because of its efficacy and relative safety. It's been used in more recent years also for chronic kidney disease, particularly the later stages of chronic kidney disease with glomerular filtration rates uh, below 50 or 40 milliliters per minute. It's a drug that obviously works very well with uh, not a great deal of side effects. In recent months, or perhaps even in recent years, attention has been paid to the possible deleterious effects of higher hemoglobin levels, both in chronic kidney disease and in patients on dialysis. There's no clear resolution of the question of the hemoglobin, and I'm sure that uh, most listeners will be aware of the controversies that are going on at levels in science, levels of science, and also levels of regulatory control concerned with, with what is an appropriate level. And generally, it seems that levels in dialysis patients and possibly in CKD patients lower than what were previously advocated are now being recommended. This is a very current issue, and practice guideline-forming bodies are even now, in fact, this very day, considering what advice should be given or what uh, conclusions should be reached about 
the appropriate level of hemoglobin to aim at as a target. In terms of this current study, we're talking about a variant, effectively, aren't we, of erythropoietin. Can you, can you first of all pronounce it, because I will get it wrong, and also comment how, how it differs, if it does differ significantly, biologically, chemically, from uh, erythropoietin? The drug in, in, in question is called Mercera, although in the paper that we're, that's in the lines that we're discussing, it's abbreviated uh, in, the, in two places to Sera, C-E-R-A. It is a ESA, an erythropoiesis-stimulating agent, which differs from erythropoietin through the formation of a, of a chemical bond between one of the amino acids present in erythropoietin beta, which has 165 amino acids, and methoxypolyethylene glycol, which is often abbreviated to PEG, butanoic acid. It's formed by a chemical bond between the beta, the common uh, erythropoietin beta, and methoxypolyethylene glycol. That's a synthetic laboratory addition or a further process to the production of erythropoietin beta from uh, recombinant DNA technology. And turning to the current study published in The Lancet this week, can you just set out what your objectives were here? What were you seeking to test? The objective of the study was to compare this drug Mercera in an open-label, uh, randomized, multi-center study done in North America and, and Europe, a parallel group study with Epoetin, a phase three study, and basically what it did, it compared two administration intervals of intravenous Mercera, once every two weeks or once every four weeks, with the conventional use of a potent alpha or beta once to three times a week in dialysis patients. And how would the administration have taken place for the conventional epotin? That would have been done every dialysis, if in the case of three times a week, which is the, the usual, and most of the patients fell into that category, over 85% or sometimes twice a week or really once a week, as compared basically to Mercera being given once a month, once every four weeks. So the basic objective was to see whether in a non-inferiority study, whether the Mercera maintained hemoglobin concentrations in dialysis patients who had previously been on IV apoetin maintenance. So in other words, this is a maintenance study where patients were changed from already controlled in a poetin in a run-in stage, and then changed to every two weeks or every four weeks or left alone on a poetin. The primary efficacy analysis compared the mean change in hemoglobin level between the baseline and the evaluation period for patients who received Mercera compared to those who received a poetin. And can you clarify what is deemed acceptable now as the range, if you like, for hemoglobin concentrations? Well, in this study, the total range was 10 to 13.5 grams per deciliter. Starting off from the baseline period, the, the main issue here, whatever they were, and were stable at one gram within a gram, the study was designed to keep them at that level. So they started off within a range of 10 to 13.5, and the objective of the, the trial in both groups was to keep them at whatever level they started off with. And what did you find in terms of the key results for hemoglobin concentrations? The mean change from the baseline hemoglobin for the patients who had switched to the Mercera, I should say the word again, intravenous methoxypolyethylene glycol, the potent beta, uh, every two weeks or every four weeks was non-inferior to the mean change for patients who continued the treatment of the potent. 
the differences were very, very tiny of the order of 0.71 grams per litre every two weeks, 0.25 grams per litre in every four weeks, and a poetin was 0.7 grams per litre. In other words, a very small change indeed. So in terms of that first primary study, that was the, the finding. It was a, a very successful, in case of Macera, a very successful non-inferiority study. The secondary analysis was the proportion of patients who maintained a mean hemoglobin within 10 grams per litre of the baseline. And here the three groups were identical, every two weeks, every four weeks, and the apoetin in general three times a week was 68%, 68%, and 67% of the patients maintained that hemoglobin. And again, there was absolutely no difference between the Macera and the Apoetin groups, despite the fact that the Macera group was changed directly from the Apoetin to a Macera dose, and of course the Apoetin group were continued on the doses that they had been. And in terms of side effects and mortality? There were no differences in mortality, but in terms of uh, adverse events, uh, they were mild to moderate and had a distribution that uh, typically seen in this patient population. Things like diarrhea, nasopharyngitis, hypertension, uh, graft thrombosis, there was no difference between the two. Now, the actual death rate was 9% in the every two weeks, 7% in every, every four weeks for the Macera, and 8% for the uh, Poetin. Thank you. And in terms of the clinical implications of this study, you managed to successfully enrol, didn't you, around 660 patients. So we had about 220 patients in each of the three arms. What happens next in terms of the clinical implications, do you think? Is there enough evidence now based on this study, or do we need to, to replicate these findings in larger international randomized studies? I should say that of the 660-odd patients, you randomized uh, they were mainly from North America, weren't they? But about around 20% were from Europe. I think that uh, the the study is 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 very reasonably generalizable to a dialysis population anywhere. The drug is available for sale in several countries in Europe. Its clinical place has been found. Is it expensive, though? I don't know of any cost issues. It's, of course, a very interesting question, and especially one in the United States. Dr. Levine, thank you for talking to The Lancet. It's very kind of you to have asked me, and I appreciate the opportunity. Thank you. Dr. Nathan Levine, a look out for the comment linked to this article by authors from Melbourne, Australia. Well, that's all for this week's podcast. Many thanks for listening. Rona MacDonald will be with you next week. Bye for now.